All right. What's up, Blackhawk? How's everybody doing? Everybody here in the room, you doing good? Good. Fantastic. My name is Matt. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff. I uh, am the pastor of our Blackhawk downtown site and, uh, and a part of the teaching team. And to all of you in the room here, welcome. To those of you watching uh, at uh, Savannah Oaks Middle School, Blackhawk Fitchburg, what's up, people? To all of you at Blackhawk downtown at Upper House, welcome. Those of you at the gallery, those of you in our traditions venue, those of you in our Chinese venue, Dijon Zimei Ping An, uh, everybody watching online. I think that is everybody. I've got everybody covered. So uh, we are in week two of a series that we're doing right now that we have begun um, called An Unexpected Kingdom, where we are taking a look at the book of Mark. And uh, if you were here last week, you heard that we are going to be doing this for 23 weeks. So we are going to just do a slow, deep dive into this book in order to understand this unexpected kingdom and this unexpected king. And uh, we're really excited about it as, as we kind of kick things off. One of the things that we've created for you that you've heard about are these journals that we have. Make sure to pick one up. It's basically, it's just the entire book of Mark with lots of room on the side to be able to write all kinds of things. Stuff that you can underline, that you can highlight, questions that you can write in, comments, thoughts that you have. Um, they're great to be able to bring to your life group just in order to be able to dive in together. Just pick one up today and mark it up. So go for it. And it's uh, a little humor there. So mark it up. So maybe that wasn't humor. I don't know. So... So, but, uh, but grab one of those and, uh, and make sure to do that. And, uh, and last week, um, Pastor Charles kicked us off in, in this series. And, uh, and he got through pretty much the first eight verses of chapter one. Really, he just got through the first verse. So we are off to a blistering pace as we have started this series. And I wanna dive back into that for just a minute. So if you've got your Bibles, or if you have your journals, or if you follow uh, scripture on your smart device that you have with you, let's go to Mark chapter one together for just a moment as, uh, as we start things off. Mark 1, one of the things that we learned about this particular verse is that this is actually is the title of this entire book. And, uh, and it says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, um, these claims that uh, Mark is making here at the beginning, back at that time, like these would have been massive claims that he was saying as he was writing this book. To us today, for so many of us, like those claims really don't mean that much. To hear Jesus called the Messiah or the Son of God, regardless if you are a Christ follower or not, that's not a surprise. To them back then, these were massive statements that, we were being, that were being made. And last week, Charles did an incredible job at really taking us the direction of Jesus the Messiah. Really what he did was he set kind of a, a foundation, um, a groundwork that'll help us through this entire series. So if you missed that first talk, it was fantastic. You need to go back and listen. It will help you just tremendously as we, we walk through this entire series together. But he really started into to this element of Jesus as Messiah, taking a look at a lot of the imagery that was taking place between the people of Israel and what was taking place with Jesus. 
And, uh, and, and this week, we are going to be diving deeper into the whole direction of, I think as Charles said it, oh yeah, and by the way, he's the son of God. So that's where we're headed this particular week. But all of the statements here that Mark was making at the beginning, they were helping the audience understand, the listeners of this book, uh, to understand how big Jesus really was, because Mark didn't want them to miss him. Let me ask you a question. Have, have you ever wondered in your life if you have ever um, stood next to or walked by someone who was famous and like just totally missed it? You know, like, like you get on an elevator or something like that and, uh, and Will Smith is standing next to you and you're just like, you know, hop off, never realize that it happened. Ever ha- have you ever realized something like that's taken place in your life? One of, my, uh, w- one of the shows that Rachel, my wife, and I, we like to watch a good bit is uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And, and Jimmy, on a regular basis, he likes to put uh, these scenarios, these situations together with famous people um, and put them into situations where they might not actually be noticed by anybody. Kind of like this. Take a look at the screens for just a minute. Okay, just for fun, all sites, all venues, this is an all-skate deal right now. How many of you know the band U2? Yeah, 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 that's like all of us, you know? That's U2 in a subway, and nobody knew it was them. I mean, that's just amazing. And like, if you look at it, like, okay, they were in costumes, kind of, you know? And they were singing their own music. And yet people are just flying by, having no idea, because they never expected that U2 would be playing in a subway. But like U2 for the last 25 years, man, sells out arenas everywhere they go. Some of us have paid big money to see U2. And yet in this situation, everybody missed it. And the interesting thing for us on a show like this with Jimmy is that we're given an insider's look as to what's going on in this situation. To where, where for many of us, like we watch a scene like that, we chuckle in the background because we can't believe people are missing it. And it, like as you hear Bono's voice, it's such a unique voice, you're going, how are people missing this moment right now? It's this, this, this is taking place. See, this is, this is exactly what Mark is doing as, as, he's, as he's writing this book. Is, is he is helping the audience who is listening to be able to see who Jesus really is as the Messiah and the Son of God. And, and, and it's very easy for us, even as that audience, to read this book and to see situations. As we read this, we're going to see situations of all kinds of people who are going to question and they're going to doubt and they're going to wrestle with the claims that Jesus makes about himself. And we will sit back and go, how are people missing it? See, that's what we're supposed to be thinking because Mark is trying to help the audience understand how big Jesus really is that they wouldn't miss what it was he was saying about who he truly was. That's where we're gonna head today. And so as you already have your journals, Bibles, smartphones open, let's go to verse nine and, uh, and we're gonna kick in from there. Now, uh, Charles last week gave us a picture, John the Baptist baptizing now in the Jordan River, and, uh, and that's where we pick things up. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in, in Galilee and was baptized by John 
in the Jordan. Okay, now, now think about this for a minute. For, for us as an audience, we have an idea of the story of Jesus. But think for this crowd right here as they're reading this letter who potentially have never heard anything about Jesus, what they know about him so far. Do you realize that like in this letter, um, it's different than some of the other gospel, account, gospel accounts like the book of Matthew or the book of Luke. You notice there's, there's no background to who Jesus is. There's no birth narrative. We are not told, it, it's like, like Christmas. We haven't heard anything about angels or shepherds or wise men or a manger. You know, we're not given any of the context of who Jesus is. We just simply have seen this first verse. Here's who Jesus is, Messiah, son of God. Now he's being baptized, which should cause that audience and therefore our audience to ask a question. Hey, if he's the son of God and people are coming to be baptized, they're confessing their sins. Well, then why is Jesus getting baptized if he's the son of God? You see, that should be something that we should be wondering in this moment. What we understand as we get into it is that Jesus was coming to be baptized in this moment to show that he was standing in agreement with everything that John the Baptist was saying about the coming kingdom of God and the coming king. He was standing in agreement with that. Now, baptism continues to be something in the church. When, when we today are baptized, we are showing um, our, our union with, with Christ. It's a proclamation of the union that we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, around here at Blackhawk, we do baptisms. We have really two different large baptism services that we have during the year. And these are for people who have come to the place in their life where they've accepted Jesus and him alone for their salvation. Baptism is an external sign of an inward reality, an inward transformation that's taken place, a figurative imagery of being, being, being buried with Christ and raised to walk a new kind of life, of, of having our sins washed away and having ourselves completely covered in Christ. And uh, man, our baptism services here are just absolutely amazing. If you've never had a chance to be at one, man, I just want to encourage you to come because they are, um, the, the entire evening is just simply stories of people whose lives have been transformed by the message of the gospel as they accepted Christ as their savior. And if you're a believer and you've never come to the place where you've been baptized, as one of your pastors on staff for people, all sites, all venues, I want to encourage you to take that step. It's something that we're commanded as believers to do. We're, we're commanded to, to be baptized. Jesus, after he had died and had risen from the grave, came to his followers and he said, go into all the world, preach my gospel, make disciples of all nations, and it, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's something that we are commanded to do. And I want to encourage you to take that step. And if you're interested... We have a baptism service uh, coming up on Friday, November 8th, and uh, we would love to have you be a part of that. After services uh, at Connection Point, at all sites, all venues, there are people there that would love to talk with you. They have a booklet on baptism, and they'll be able to tell you the next steps that you need to take. We'd love, just love to have you be a part of that time. So, but so that is what was taking place with Jesus as he came to be baptized. He was standing in agreement with everything that John the Baptist was saying. All right, so let's dive back into this passage together. Go to verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open 
and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Okay, now I, I wish that like, there is, there's so much imagery taking place in these verses. I wish that we had hours just to be able to dive in to these two verses. But Charles talked last week, if you were part of uh, services last week, about the imagery taking place with John the Baptist doing baptisms here in the Jordan River. This is the place where the people of Israel, after their 40, 40 years wandering in the desert, have now, they cross over into the promised land and they are led by their leader, Joshua. And now hundreds of years later, Jesus is being compared to Joshua as the, the new Israel, the new leader of Israel, the new king, the new Joshua. And the imagery continues here in this passage of scripture as we see what's taking place. Think of the imagery. This would have, to an original audience reading this book, light bulbs would have been going off. Like as, as they see Jesus get into the Jordan River, think of what had taken place. Joshua leads the people of Israel to the edge of the Jordan River and he cries out to heaven. And as he does, the waters part and the people of Israel pass through into the promised land. Now, hundreds of years later, Jesus comes as the new Joshua. He gets into the Jordan River and heaven parts and he hears the voice of God speak, God the Father spirit descending on him like a dove. Those two images of the father speaking and of the spirit descending, that would have taken them to other prophetic imagery that had taken place in the Old Testament. Verses like this, uh, Psalm 2 says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession." And then Isaiah 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Like this is all figurative imagery, just rich imagery that the original audience would have been gone. They would have been saying, I can't believe that this is all happening. I'm seeing the picture of Jesus now as the Messiah, the savior, but it goes deeper than that. Because, oh yeah, by the way, he's the son of God, you know? And, and we see this imagery, okay? Uh, it, Jesus in the Jordan River, baptized. In the very first verse, I'm sorry, the very first place, verse nine, verse 10, where, the, where God speaks in this moment, giving validation of who Jesus is. Like, think about it. the very first time that we see validation of who Jesus is as the son of God. Yeah, it comes from God the Father when the heavens are torn open. That's pretty good validation. Like, it's one thing if somebody in that moment says, uh, you know, another human being says, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. It's another thing to have the heavens torn open and to have the Father say, oh, you are my son whom I am well pleased. Yeah, you might want to listen to that guy. Yeah, there's validation right there. And it's interesting of what we see take place in this moment. You notice that we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity, all in this moment. As the Father speaks words of affirmation into the Son and the Spirit descending onto Jesus. Like this would have been more imagery that would have helped this audience. This takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the creation account. 
Whereas creation was taking place in chapter one, it says that the, the spirit was fluttering, hovering over the waters. And in that moment, God spoke and spoke the earth into existence. More light bulbs going off in the minds of people as they see what's taking place in this moment. It was as if God was all involved, Trinity, in the creation of the world. And now in this moment, in the recreation or the saving of the world being set up through Jesus, once again, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Spirit descending on the Son over the waters as he descends onto Jesus and the Father speaking words into the life of Jesus. Okay, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's pause there for a minute. And can we talk for a minute just about the Trinity? So, because the Trinity, man, deep theological waters. Here's, here's what we believe as, uh, as Christians. We believe that there is one God and three persons. One God eternally existent in three persons. Not, not three gods, not one God with three personalities, one God eternally existent in three persons. Therefore, no less one than he is three and no less three than he is one. And when I really try to wrap my mind around that, I don't know about you, but that makes my brain hurt. You know, like those are deep waters. It is a mystery that we are diving into. And we see all three present in that moment. But there's something else that we see in this moment take place with Father, Son, Holy Spirit in this chapter one, verses 10 and 11, is that we see the relationship between the three. You see, because Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existent, have always been in perfect relationship with each other. Think about this, perfect friendship, perfect union, perfect community, always finding complete joy in fulfillment in the relationship with one another by making much of each other. Think about that relationship without the things that we deal with, things like guilt, anger, greed, jealousy, pride, selfishness. They had none of that in this relationship they had together. It was perfect love, perfect friendship, perfect unity that they had with one another. And that took place by them making much of each other, lifting each other up, supporting one another, encouraging each other. And that's what we see happen in this moment. It's really an amazing moment. As Jesus gets in to the Jordan River and in that moment, what do we see? The spirit, making much of the spirit? No, doesn't, the spirit doesn't come out and go, hey everybody, look how cool I am, I'm the spirit. No, he descends onto Jesus, making much of Jesus, giving Jesus power for the ministry that's beginning in this moment. And, and God the Father, as he's in this moment, heaven parts and he doesn't say, I'm God, look at me. No, no, he says, look at my son. This is my son. With you, I'm well pleased making much of Jesus in this moment. You see, there's this mutual support making much of each other. It continues on as we read the gospels. I mean, you want to see one of the greatest accounts of it. John chapter 17 Verse one, this is the time where Jesus is praying with his disciples right before he is going to be crucified, right before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. And in that moment, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify me 
that your son might glorify you. God, glorify me in this moment so that I in turn, with the glory you give me, might turn and totally give you glory, pointing right back to you. See, that's this relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, constantly lifting each other up, building each other up. In, in, uh, in the book, Mere Christianity, by one great British theologian, C.S. Lewis, he talks about it like this relationship, like it's like a dance. You know, like it's this making much of one another, of, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, constantly lifting each other up, putting the spotlight onto one another, making much of each other. It, it, it's kind of difficult to picture, isn't it? Like, I feel like, like how does a relationship really look like that? Um, my, my daughter gave me an idea um, as we were talking about this sermon. She got me onto something that you can find on YouTube um, called the Human Table Challenge. So I had never heard of this before, but uh, the Human Table Challenge, you need at least four people to be a part of something like this, and four people sit on chairs, and as they sit on chairs, the person in front of them lays their weight back on the knees of that person, while that person then is laying their weight on the knees of the person behind them. And as they do that, if it's done correctly, the chairs can be taken out to where it is just the weight of the four people there in that moment. And I don't know about you, but that looks looks kind of crazy. It looks like, how in the world does that actually work? So here's what we're going to do. All sites, all venues. I'd like you to break up into groups of four right now. So, and we're going to move some chairs. <laughs> that would be so awesome. I would love it. So maybe later you can do this with your friends or roommates or family. Life groups this week. There's your challenge right there. Take pictures, send them, tag Blackhawk Church. It'll be great. So but we look at something like that and we go, how in the world does that, does that work? You see, but I think that just, okay, and does the imagery break down? Yes, okay, there were four, the Trinity's three, I get that, you know, but, but, but we get an idea of this mutual support, mutual love, mutual lifting up, you know, that we see in, in the Trinity in this moment. And the reason why that's important for us to understand, the reason why this is so important for us to grab a hold of is because you and I, we've been made in the image of that God. We've been made in the image of a God who has always throughout all eternity been in perfect loving relationship with one another. We were made by that God to experience friendship and relationship with God and others in the exact same way. When we were created, we were created to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. But then sin entered the world. And as soon as sin entered the world, it was like us in the human table challenge going, I'm great being supported by others. I'm liking this. I just don't want to support anyone else. And obviously you can picture if that were to take place in the human table, not only would you fall, but everyone else around you would fall. And that's what's taken place with humankind ever since. So we've been in broken relationships. But when we were created, we were created to be in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another. That's the reason why when Jesus was walking the planet and he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, love God and love others. In other words, if we just got those two things right, there would be no need for any other commandments, any other rules, if we could just simply love each other that way. <laughs> but we don't. 
I mean, it doesn't take long for any of us to be able to talk about every relationship that we have been in that has been broken. Because we do deal with things like in every relationship, guilt, anger, greed, pride, selfishness, jealousy. You know, in all of those things, they, they break up every relationship. We went from being God-centered or other-centered when sin entered the world to being self-centered. To where now, rather than being a part of a dance where we are lifting others up, instead, we are static, standing in the middle, expecting everyone else to dance around us. Because life is a story about me, and all of you, you're just playing a supporting role. You see, this is why Jesus came into this world, was to be able to rectify that issue so that we could once again be in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. And so for any of us who are Christ followers, Man, there is a battle that takes place in us every single day to where we have to make the decision. We don't even realize oftentimes that the battle is going on. Am I going to, today, am I going, in this situation, am I going to make much of myself or am I going to make much of God and much of others? So we have a decision in every situation because of this brokenness that's taken place in the world. We need to be people who remember that we weren't just uh, commanded by God to love each other. It's not just what we do, but we were created in the image of a God who loves perfectly. This is who we are supposed to be. It's a part of who we are. And uh, yeah, we broke the relationship between us and God, but Jesus came to this world to open the door for us to be back in the dance once again. And we begin to see the picture of the opening of that door in the next couple of verses here. Verses 12 and 13, let's go to those together. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Now, once again, just like the baptism story, um, we see figurative imagery. You know, something that we learn about Mark as we look at this, this entire deal, Mark is kind of a man of few words. And uh, some of these stories, if you want a more exhaustive picture of what took place in the baptism, what took place in Jesus' temptation, you can go to the book of Matthew, chapter three and four, and you find more of the story of what really took place as Jesus was, was tempted, all of the temptation being about him being tempted to make much of himself in that moment. So, but, uh, but we see this take place, you know, in this entire area, but we see imagery once again in these verses pointing back to the people of Israel, the people of Israel who had been wandering in the desert for 40 years before entering into the promised land. And now Jesus heading out, being led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. We also see imagery leading back to creation account as, as mankind was created. It says in Genesis, let us us, the Trinity, let us make man in our own image. So, and in the same way, then right after that, Adam being created was led by Satan, tempted by him, and he fell, human table fell apart. And now once again, in this situation, we see Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then Jesus led out to be tempted by Satan, only he did things different. He was the one that didn't fall. And the reason why that's so important is because that is the only way that he could be the savior. You see, Jesus throughout his entire life continued to be tempted all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and yet at every situation did things perfectly. He, Jesus is the one who lived the life that you and I originally were supposed to live, but couldn't. We broke the human table. And he did that so that he could die the death that you and I now were supposed to die, taking the penalty of our sin onto himself. Jesus lived life perfectly. And the reason why was because the only one who could truly save us had to be God. He had to be perfect. And that's the reason why Mark at the beginning is saying Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, and the Son of God, is because one could not happen without the other. And so Jesus came and lived the life that he did and then died on the cross, taking on to himself the sin of all of mankind so that you and I eventually could be in right relationship with Jesus. For anyone who accepts Jesus, his death for our sin, accepts him as our savior, offered as a free gift, we can have eternal life with Christ. And so the thing I wanna ask all sites, all venues is, have you come to that place where you've accepted Jesus as your savior? Because for some of you, my guess is, is potentially right now there are some pieces that are fitting together and for the first time potentially you're going, I get it. I understand. I'm, I'm a sinful person and I'm in need of a savior. And if you're in that situation, man, I would love to lead you right now and how you go about accepting Christ as your savior. It's really, really simple. It's you just simply telling him what it is that you're feeling right now in this moment. Just, you don't have to close your eyes, just in the quietness of your own heart, just saying, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. And so I am choosing this day to place my faith in Jesus, him alone for my salvation, his penalty for my sin. God, thank you for this free gift. I give you control of my life. If you prayed that prayer, if you took that step today, this is the greatest decision that you could ever make. And as a church, like we'd love just to be able to help you walk through what are the next steps? What are the next things that you do? And so at all sites, all venues, we have everything set up with you with venue pastors who would love to talk with you afterwards. They've got a book for you just on next steps to be able to take. And, uh, and we'd love to connect with you that way. Next week, Chris is going to continue as we see more and more of the story of Jesus as he lays out with his life what this coming kingdom looks like and how this coming king will affect our lives completely. Because the thing that Mark is trying to do is trying to help us see that this person, Jesus, he's way bigger than anyone expected. It was the true of the audience back then and it continues to be true of us today. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. Uh, I mean, you are the one who has opened the door for us to be back in this relationship of a dance with you. And all because of the, the, you sending your son, his death and resurrection, his payment of our sins that you offer us as a free gift. God, I pray for anyone in the room who has made that decision today to follow you. I pray, Father, that you would meet them in this place. God, just give them assurance of what you have done in their life. And uh, God, for people here who have walked away from you, I know that there are many of us who we entered into the dance and somehow over time, life just becomes about us. I pray, Father, for those people 
that they would move back towards you, understanding that even though we may have walked away from, from you, you never walk away from us, that they would enter back into that dance relationship. And God, for all of us, as we are in this battle, making much of ourselves or much of you, would you help us to be people who understand how we are created in your image of a God who loves perfectly, that it might fuel the way that we love you and we love others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people together said, amen.